The automobile is one of the most important inventions that revolutionized the modern world in America. The rich history of car culture runs deep as technology continues to shape the future of the industry. Jason Stein, former publisher of Automotive News, is here to share the stories of people passionate about cars, from industry leaders and innovators to car-obsessed celebrities. Buckle up as Jason takes you inside the boardroom, onto the track, and around the bend on Cars and Culture on Sirius XM Business Radio. Welcome to SiriusXM's Cars and Culture. I'm Jason Stein in Los Angeles. Car companies don't always have the easiest pathway to consumer acceptance or staying power. Car companies headquartered in other countries, but with a strong desire to win in North America, often seem to have the greatest bends in the road. The number of twists and turns can be a direct result of executive decisions in far-off offices, product deviations, unique marketing, or all the above. In many ways, Volkswagen is a case study. Its ride in America has been anything but linear. It started out as a love affair with the adorable movie star Beetle with the name Herbie. They make 10,000 cars. They make them exactly the same way. One or two of them turn out to be something special. The winner number 53, Jim Douglas. You're doing terrific, Herbie, but don't make it look too easy. There isn't a driver in the world who can get that speed out of a car like that. He's done something to it. What do you say, Douglas? Winner to become the sole owner of the car. Through the years, VW became known for even more. This time, German engineering from something called a rabbit, GTI, and Jetta. Suddenly, America spoke a new language, thanks to one word. Whoa, that's Farvignugan. And the Volkswagen Jetta has plenty of it, let me tell you. I'm talking about crisp European handling, brisk acceleration, room for five adults, not to mention the huge trunk. Don't take my word for it, although I am a professional. Sample some Farvignugan in a Jetta today. Farvignugan, it's what makes a car a Volkswagen. Volkswagen was on a roll in America, yet wanted more, and former executives in Germany thought they knew exactly what the U.S. wanted, ultimately designing cars built in America that few people purchased. The Passat built for America lost a lot of that German luster, and then Dieselgate nearly sunk the company here for good. Last Friday, the EPA announced that some Volkswagen and Audi cars made between 2009 and this year were using a so-called defeat device to get around emissions laws designed to keep the air clean. Volkswagen had a problem on its hands. Its diesel engines were known for getting great fuel economy, but the NOx trap only works well when more fuel is being used. So the car would detect using this defeat device when it was getting an emissions test. It would use more fuel, make the NOx trap work well, emissions would be fine, but then you get on the road, the device turns off, you're burning less fuel, but you're putting as much as 40 times more pollutants into the atmosphere. But how the heck did the car know that it was being tested for emissions compliance? The EPA says it was a sophisticated system that checked things like steering wheel position, speed, how long the engine was on, and even the atmospheric pressure. In other words, there was no way this was accidental because the software was designed very carefully to detect an official emissions test. That's some pretty serious deception, and that's why Volkswagen is in such serious trouble. In fact, their CEO, Martin Vinterkorn, just stepped down. The quest for number one globally, combined with a desire to skirt the rules, smeared the brand and cut off diesel sales for good. Today, there's a new era in America and around the world. VW is all in on EVs, partly driven by the Dieselgate scandal and partly because of the transition to electric vehicles occurring on all continents globally. There are a raft of new EV entries coming and a commitment by the brand to ditch gas engines for good and become a cleaner, more hip, emotional brand. 
And just last week, the brand introduced its latest model at CES, the Consumer Electronics Show. It's called the ID7. At the heart of the emotion of the EV trend is a new global brand boss who wants to restore the love for the VW logo. Thomas Schaefer is a former Daimler guy who's lived in many different cultures, from Malaysia to Africa and even America. Today, from the floor of the Los Angeles Auto Show late last year, we sit down for an exclusive long-form interview with the man who wants to restore the VW brand for good. He's doing it with humility, passion, and an easygoing style. My guest today is CEO of the Volkswagen Passenger Cars brand and head of the brand group Volume at VW. He's the global boss talking about America, EVs, and even ice cream trucks. Hi, I'm Thomas Schaefer. This is Cars and Culture with Jason Stein. Wonderful. Thomas, it is great to be with you here at the LA Auto Show, which it, it's it's just great to say auto show anyway in this yeah. kind of new world, right? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and, a, and a stop in America for you. I know you have massive global uh, responsibilities. Tell me what it's like to be in LA. No, it's great to be um, in LA, and uh, you know, I've, I've spent some time here in 95, 96. Um, it was a phenomenal time in, in LA. Now being back, I, I haven't been back really since then. Um, but now being back at, a, at an auto show in LA, <laughs> just, uh, you know, we have like the last two years was, was no auto shows at all. Um, couldn't really go anywhere at all, really, during the pandemic. But now being at an auto show to reconnect, uh, meet other people from the industry here. So a lot of people from my previous uh, employer, but also from uh, you know industry captains. It's, it's it's really cool to be here. I love it. And the weather's a lot better than Germany anyway. Yes, exactly. Auto shows are indeed meeting points for industry executives. Tell me about the importance of that. Well, you know, first of all, um, to connect on an industry level, you don't really have much opportunity to meet you know, like-minded people you know, outside your normal business meetings, um, just to connect and you know, talk deep about your own business, but you know, just to about trends and you know, see the designs of other um, manufacturers and, and learn a little bit more about the thinking behind it. It's very important to, to keep track of it. I, I, I enjoy this immensely and uh, it's, it's such, a, such a combined and a condensed form, you cannot get it done differently, I guess. America has always been a bit of a riddle to some extent for Volkswagen. The popularity of, of the Beetle throughout the, the 60s and 70s, and then of course the Golf vehicles, uh, the, the uh, Rabbit and Golf and GTI uh, vehicles of that nature. And then uh, this sort of phase that went through the 2000s where uh, there were vehicles that were designed specifically for America, but didn't resonate with Americans. So where are we now in that Volkswagen story? I would say, on the one side, we, we have now products that are really well received by the American consumer, the Atlas, Atlas Cross Sport, the Tiguan, great results, and uh, you know, turnaround has been managed well, you know, company is profitable, um, we're doing decent volume now, for 3% market share, which is not enough, now we want to grow that, but at the same time, all the electrification that's coming through is a, is a huge opportunity for us now to really come back to America with good products. We just invested $800 million uh, into the uh, factory in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where we built the ID4, and um, that car has been received super well. So uh, we've got a lineup now until the end of this decade, and with uh, Pablo as the new CEO, I think we also got somebody who really embraces uh, the US, specifically and the consumer. 
Uh, electrification, you're going to have the broadest electrified portfolio in the North American market. You have said 25 battery electric vehicles to American consumers. Mm -hmm. You've done your market research and you, you know where America's going to gravitate toward. What is it that will be appealing to Americans on the EV side? Well, it's, it's the convenience of it. No? I've never met anybody who's changed into an electric vehicle who regrets it. No? It's just the convenience, it's a um, it's quiet, it's uh, super powerful, um, the torque is great, um, the connectivity. So I think this is, once you're in it, you'll love it. And American consumers, and it's about functionality, um, uh, it's, it's the overall package is, is phenomenal, no matter which of the moments it is. And Volkswagen has, of course, overcome uh, challenges related to a different propulsion system yes. here in America. And we no longer really talk about diesel anymore. Uh, where where is the brand relative to that? I think uh, what happened um, was uh, was obviously a pivotal point in our history. Uh, the company is a different company now. We've uh, worked through this. Um, we have um, electrified completely, basically. You know, there's huge plans all over the world that we have uh, invested in, and um, I would say, you know, the. The way forward is, is pretty clear. It probably accelerated our um, development in that space, uh, the events of 2015. So, yeah, tragic, tragic past, uh, but it, uh, it's always something good in a in a disaster. And I must, I must say, probably for the company, it was uh, at the end of the day, it was was then good that we took the right decisions. Never wasting a good crisis, no, as they say. No, absolutely right. What do you think the company learned the most coming out of that? Difficult to say. Obviously, the you know, the culture um, was very much on you know we want to be number one and the, the, the most amount of cars and you know we want to you know, by numbers and this was all dialed back into let's do profitable business, let's do the right thing, you know, let's uh, get the right products on the road. You know, and if, if we don't be if you're not number one manufacturer, so what in, in volume? You know, it's not, why should there be a chase? for the highest number in manufacturing. Is it really important? Is it good business, good models, and, a, and a, a great ethics? Is that the right way? I think better this way. Let's talk about some of your priorities. You've been very clear about certain priorities that you yeah. want. Number one is uh, Volkswagen, you want to turn it back into true people's brand. Yes. Um, you want to make VW into a loved brand again. What do you mean by that? Well, VW is a is a brand that, that everybody really in the world has some story with. So, I mean, whoever I speak to, you know, either in your in your childhood or along the way, you had some history, some story you can tell around the brand. My first car was a jet, was a GTI. There you go. Yeah, and uh, iconic uh, models, iconic um, like things like GTI, for example. No? And 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 in this game, um, you know, we in this chase of you know getting volume, you would you know have all of a sudden models that go into niches and so on and the, the consistency was lost. Um, also within, specifically in Germany, after diesel, um, people, oh, I wouldn't say they mentally resigned, but they were, like, they were really down for, for a long time. It shook them to the core that something like this could happen in a, in a company like, like ours. We're very proud of it. And, and I want to reinstate this pride again. You know, Volkswagen is a company that is people's company. It has to be a good company through and through. It has to push that button of 
wow, I want this product, it's the right product. Um, but it's not about, always about just making profit, it's about doing good in the community. It's, it's so much more than just a great car with great design. You said emotionalizing the brand. Yeah, we had the most amazing advertising, right? I mean, yeah. we had this, this always a twinkle in the eye, you know, it was great stuff. This, and, and it completely got lost along the way. We all of a sudden had these like, advertisings that were like, all technical, and we had funny people that nobody knew where they actually lived. Um, and that's not us. That's not us. We 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 are a different company. We are. You know, it's got to be much more personal, human, you know, and, and real people, and, and always a twinkle in the eye. This is my aspiration to the team. So best best brand is love brand. This is total focus for me. Brand is everything. And you brought in a marketing uh, leader who comes yeah. from Google yeah. as well, Nellie Kennedy. Yeah, great lady. I'm very excited that she decided to join us. <clears throat> also, you know, I think one of the reasons probably I employed the first female executive on the board, you know, Volkswagen brand, you know, since its existence. Imelda um, Labe, she, she runs sales and marketing, you know, and you can see diversity is super important to me. I would say like, if you don't reflect your customer profile out there, you cannot make the right decisions for your customers. You know, if you only have the same type of people on the board, uh, all elderly male folks uh, <laughs> from the same area, then it doesn't doesn't work. So we gotta diversify in all manners, and just makes it better for our products and the customers. So so Imelda is strongly pushing this, and Nelly now joining the team also will change the tone of the of the advertising tone of how we approach customers. I'm very excited about that. You talk about emotionalizing the brand and about what the brand really stood for. You were born north of Frankfurt. And in uh, Marburg. Yes. What was your memory of Volkswagen growing up? So that area specifically was always a hotspot of fighting between Opel yeah. and uh, and VW. <laughs> yes. So you were either this or that. No? You were either driving a Scirocco or a Manta. Or a <laughs> not so well known in the American environment, I guess. But that was always rivaling products. And so, so so to me, it was always uh, VW was always the the better product. It was always the, the you know like. Once you once you were in a VW, you made it. You just you know it's you know yeah. There's also a rivaling product from Opel at the time, but you always the, the guys that were driving VW was like that. Yeah, sense, this makes sense, and you know just a little bit off. So yeah, uh, to me it was always aspirational. And what what is you know, in, in my youth, um, it was interesting to see how the brand grew you know, from a, a Beetle brand and, and the old Golf all along. Not to what it became then, um, in the sort of as from 2010, 11 onwards, as a little bit even up to a phaeton. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's <laughs> a good idea at the time, but uh, probably too early. For probably too early. Yeah. yeah. I mean, six-figure priced vehicle that was a real. You know, you had arrived at that point if you owned a phaeton. You could probably do it now. Right. People would be ready for it, but at the time, Volkswagen was still like the, the maximum people could imagine was a Passat. You know, like a, this was the biggest sedan you could possibly get. That was it. So yeah, a bit too early. One of your other priorities is fixing software issues. Yes. Software issues have become uh, top of mind. Uh, they have plagued the launch of uh, the ID range of electric cars. Um, one auto tester at Consumer Reports in America said it's a disease that is spreading uh, the systems used in the car. What do you have to do there? Mm -hmm. 
So, so quality is, is key for us, no matter if it's hardware or software. No? This is uh, non-negotiable, and we have, a, we have a strong program that um, addresses all manners of quality along the vehicles. No? We have to make sure that we, we you know, deliver what we promise. Volkswagen always stood for great quality. There is no give on this. Uh, one has to admit that in the software space, um, um, we made a couple of mistakes, maybe a little too fast on, on certain things. At the same time, um, what happened to us is the, our product range and the amount of brands that we have within the Volkswagen Group is so large that creating software and, and you know, looking after the software is enormously complex. Uh, if, if we're working now on reducing the, the portfolio, less variance, and make sure that this is then hitting the point. It's unfortunately a, a learning curve that we had to go through. It's unacceptable. Uh, I agree with you, and um, uh, I want to apologize if we, if we did to our customers there on the way. Yeah, some of the stories: um, vehicles suddenly breaking because of a traffic sign detection system that was that was buggy. Um, smartphone app that is glitchy. I mean, I know there's growing pains yeah. in software yeah. and over-the-air updates, but still, yeah. you're right. right, you're right. It's no excuse. You you had said that Volkswagen needs to be a leading brand in the segment and, and not just in and also ran brand. You have to be a leader when it comes to software improvements. What what are some steps that you're taking in your first hundred days to make that happen? So the first thing we've done is we've created a um, a committee on board level that we meet uh, every other week. We look at um, all topics from a consumer perspective. Uh, we, have, we have teams working on user experience, we have teams working on functions, and and this is not only being, you know, so we talk about it, but they also, they mock it up, and we see, you know, like seating boxes where we sit in, and they, they mock it up as if it's real, and we try it out from like a consumer. and. And before that, it was mainly on, on PowerPoint or in your presentations. You look at it and say, yeah, it looks quite cool, we'll do it. Now here, we look at it, we try it out ourselves and say, right or no, go for it. And we decide, we immediately allocate funds to it and we, we execute. So speed uh, and, and real touch and feel. You've got to try it out. You've got to sit in the car and try it out. And don't decide from your desk. You've also got to do something that I think is revolutionary at this point in you know, 20, 2022, heading into 2023, is uh, you're, you're going to put buttons back in vehicles. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about this decision. Yeah, it's, it's funny. You know, we had um, <clears throat> lots of feedback from um, media, uh, con customers, um, even J.D. Powers and so on, and saying, you know, a couple of your, your new features are not really user-friendly. And you know, on the one side, I guess in a larger organization, it takes a while until uh, the reality seeps in. Um, but at the same time, in a large organization, to change something is enormously costly. Like to change a tool for a steering wheel, um, say on a Tiguan, um, means you have to do it at least five, six times around the world, times the locations that you produce it. So it costs a fortune to do it. Um, <clears throat> so you in the past, maybe you know, we looked at it and said, "Well, uh, not so important. Let's park it for another time." And we're not doing that anymore. We look at it if it's important, if the customer feedback's like that, fix it, you fix it. It's, it doesn't get better. It's like in private life. It doesn't get better if you sit in the problem and ignore <laughs> it. Uh, right. You're working on more simplicity in general, though. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. Not just with larger screens, but with easier user experience and menus and. 
did we get a little, did, did the industry get a little obsessed with the ability to take technology to a level that even surpassed the consumer's ability to comprehend it? Yeah, I think that it's good that there was the, you know, strict development going forward and you know, new inventions and all that's all fine. But where's the customer value in this? In, in everything, you got to always require. You know, look at it again. And say, is there really customer value in it? Is it good for the consumer? Yes or no? And um, certain functions. You know, and then when I look at it, and I ask the the guys, why are we doing this? You know, why are we? They're like, well, because we can. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so, right. so right. some some technician tells you that's you know, a great thing, but uh, rather you know dial it back and say, you know, is it really adding value? No. And we do a very strict process now, in which we. Um, take the top functions, you know, we sort all the possible functions, we sort it by what are the ones that we have to use the most, uh, every consumer uses the most, these ones you want to put into buttons and you want to first level, they're always available, clear, then comes the next 10 functions and where do you put them, or maybe if you put it on the screen, first level, second level in the menu and so on. So a very strict regime and it needs some discipline to keep that steady. You have experience working at Skoda. Uh, you, you think that there's a, a forging of a relationship between Seat and Skoda and some of the other brands as well. What do you mean by that? So the, the volume brands, no? Seat, Cupra, Skoda, Volkswagen, Volkswagen commercial vehicles, um, have traditionally um, been set up also to compete. Um, when uh, Mr. Piech, previous chairman, um, bought into these old brands. I mean, Skoda is, is the oldest brand we have in the portfolio. No? It was uh, celebrated its 126th birthday uh, this um, this year, and it's a it's a it's a very respected old brand. You know, we always mainly know it from the sort of later communist time in the Czech Republic, but it had a glorious history in the especially in the twenties and so on. You know, 100 years ago. So these brands were bought into the portfolio and also Seat and so on, and they, they are there for a certain reason, uh, but we, over the years, started to compete more with each other than actually compete with the market. And uh, when I took over Skoda, I was surprised how much time we spent um, arguing with Volkswagen or with Seat or Cupra on product issues. And like, why is that important? You know, this is differentiate, design, go for it, you know, compete. So when they asked me to take over this job and look after all the volume brands, um, I took it because I truly believe that I can make a difference in, in collaboration. Just by, you know, we have this um, collaboration now on this level that we say uh, in production, um, we brought out a, a copy award. In the past, everybody would do their own thing and invent machinery and whatnot and say, if I will not take over the one from Seat or from Skoda because it's not invented here, so we do it ourselves. And do. So if anybody has a great idea, other guys of the other brands get actually rewarded for copying it into their factories. So just by doing that, we saved $220 million this year only by just copying stuff within our own organization. How easy is it? It seems natural. Yeah, so how easy is it? But this not invented here and this unnatural competition between the brands is just a waste of time. And and uh, I think we have brought this now to a real next level. The, the, we meet on a, on a monthly basis, all the CEOs within the volume brands. We take decisions that are best for the group, and it's working. You said that doesn't mean that the cars are going to become more similar, though. No, right? No, it can't be. No, and, and <clears throat> the, the, the reality is that 
each of the brands stands for something completely different. Cupra's here, they're very young, um, expressionist kind of, you know, vehicles, they're very sporty, very different than Volkswagen, which is mainstream, global brand, much more like a tailored suit. Anybody can drive it from a workman to a banker, it doesn't matter. Um, And Skoda is a very functional brand, lots of space, um, uh, more like like a Swiss knife, kind of, you know, everything is where it should be and so on. And with that positioning, um, you can really serve the market um, across, you know, from one end to another without sitting on top of each other. So the the positioning, the design is super important. And um, and with that, you know, you don't want to do the same type of vehicle all the time. In the past, uh, the reaction was like this: you know, like Skoda comes up with an idea to do a seven-seat uh, like MPV. Uh, the first reaction of Volkswagen would be, oh, I want to do one too. And I say, yeah, drop one, one, two, let's put it all together. We make a big project. We are so happy that we can create so much volume together. Then comes the, the reality of the budget. And then you say, phew, haven't got enough budget, so we can't differentiate as much optically as we actually wanted to. And then you end up with vehicles that are too similar. So we've taken that away now. And rather do <coughs> vehicles separately and let the one brand do something different than the other and you know have the portfolio more sorted. That's working well. Let's talk about uh, autonomous vehicles. Mm-hmm. You said that uh, there, there will be a but that there is a steep learning curve uh, when it when it comes to uh, autonomous vehicles within the within the group. Yeah. Where are we now? Uh, and, and and autonomous generally has always been on this rolling ten year forecast that you know it's not this year, it's ten years from now and next year it'll be another ten years from now. So where where are we on that? I would say it's it's coming a lot closer. Um, the uh, it, it is a complicated field that potentially a couple of years ago we we all in the industry might have underestimated a bit. Um, but progress is it's immense. I mean everybody is is, is doing something in that field. Um, you can see the progress coming through. You see vehicles driving around. The the cost per car is still too high. We can't uh, you know make it available in general, but this will come. So it probably will start in commercial applications and then come into the private space. Um, I would I'll say by the end of this decade, uh, we'll definitely be in this in this game. Well, it's 2010 to 2022. Um, complication is really the legislation in each country. Uh, you have to prove that you actually, in fact, can drive the system drives better than a human. Certain countries are, you know, accelerating it. China is accelerating it tremendously. Uh, U.S. is doing good progress here, but like a couple of countries in Europe are just not doing anything. So it's so it's, un, it's unequal across the, the globe. Really. You said that you need some lighthouse projects, as you term them, mm-hmm. um, and the uh, I, I think you were you were referencing the uh, upcoming Trinity electric sedan yeah. that will have level four uh, autonomous technology for the first time. Yes. You want to see that the iteration of that continue, right, and and spread across across the group. So if we go out to twenty thirty three, what does that look like? No, by twenty thirty three, you probably have <clears throat> um, self driving capacity in literally every vehicle. Um, question is whether you you put it in up front and you make it available in later, or you really have variants of it. Um, I'd say. 33, it's safe to say that uh, it will be on a cost level that uh, for private applications it's available. Um, question is if, uh, 
what does it mean in volume? Is is it is it um, is it really doing what we all hope that you get a whole lot more people into into such vehicles that have now not got access to vehicles? Young people, elderly people, you know, that can own a vehicle but you know can still be driven around, or is it replacing um, taxi drivers? Or so unclear. I think we're all learning in that space at the moment. After the break, I'll continue my conversation with Thomas Schaefer, CEO of the Volkswagen Passenger Cars brand and head of the brand group Volume. And to see my interview with Thomas, go to the Cars and Culture YouTube channel. Like and subscribe to see more than 80 episodes. The automobile is one of the most important inventions that revolutionized the modern world in America. The rich history of car culture runs deep as technology continues to shape the future of the industry. Jason Stein, former publisher of Automotive News, is here to share the stories of people passionate about cars. From industry leaders and innovators to car-obsessed celebrities. Buckle up as Jason takes you inside the boardroom, onto the track, and around the bend on Cars and Culture on Sirius XM Business radio welcome back to the program i'm jason stein in los angeles now the continuation of my conversation with thomas schaefer ceo of the volkswagen passenger cars brand and head of the brand group volume and to see my interview with thomas go to the cars and culture youtube channel like and subscribe to see more than 80 episodes so let's talk about some fun stuff yeah the world cup the world cup volkswagen is active in the world cup and uh, i think sponsoring the american team yeah, right. no, no, no. Very, soccer, is, especially in the U.S., is very important. I mean, globally, it's important for Volkswagen because it's a, it's an integrative sport. Right, all, people from all walks of life play it and enjoy it all over the world. But here is also um, great diversity, and, and, and it's just good, a very good fit to the brand. We believe you know? that's why the team is uh, very strong on this uh, sponsorship and, and having this as a key sport. What kind of uh, push does that marketing give the brand? Well, marketing is important because it sets a tone. It, um, it is the, the window out to the to the consumer, you know, and we, it, the brand is everything. The brand is, is our biggest asset, and you know to put it in the right light to connect to the consumer, and this is this creates the, the business environment for us. If you didn't have that, if you lose this and you tell the wrong story, it'd be a disaster. And what story are you telling with the World Cup now? Well, the again, it's a story of of inclusion. It's a it's a story of you know, sporty competitiveness of um, um, of, of team sport, you know, bringing um, you know great performance and precision, and great planning to the um, to products. It, it can tell it all. I think soccer is one of those. Um, not too complicated uh, sports that can you know, tell a great story. Um, I know that Americans are more into football or baseball, but uh, the soccer is like a real um, international sport all over the globe. You know, the, the remotest parts of Africa or South America, wherever we operate, we usually have soccer as one of the key activities. What does Volkswagen need to stand for in America? What, it, what does the brand need to represent and personify? If you were to project out uh, a year or two, what would you be satisfied with when you look back on on the transformation of the brand here? Well, Volkswagen is, always stands for you know, family, um, space, f- great quality, um, efficiency, and uh, consumption, uh, great consumption uh, levels. Um, and, and the best 
sort of best choice. No? So it it's, might not be the best in every uh, you know, separate aspect, but altogether it's the best package no? that you, um, you feel very comfortable in and you know, it retains the value. Um, I think in the US with our new products that we have now on the market, that will be uh, a real winner. We see the numbers going up, the, the, the all rate take is enormous, and we're obviously hitting the nerve of the, the American consumer no? for the first time. Finally reaping the rewards reaping the rewards of some good performance and, and good connections with your with your dealer body and making money uh, as yeah. well now. But that's important. I mean, it's, right. business is no fun when you don't make money. Right. And right. Uh, it was very important for us. I mean, great turnaround story. Um, Scott Keogh was running um, Fox One of America until recently. Um, he did a tremendous job, you know, putting this brand uh, great turnaround. You know, and, and when you when you make money, headquarter listens. Uh, and I would say I'm very strong um, advocate for the regions. The regions have to focus on their business. They know the business the best. But at the same time, you've got to carry your weight. You cannot be just a, like a dependent child and you have to uh, wait for uh, uh, some pocket money from, from mom and dad. You, know, you need to actually earn your own money and carry it. And then you're going. And this is, this is happening right now. The team is very focused. We are trying to push more and more also um, R&D um, and, and anything in, into um, the region, so it's actually handled over here um, to relieve headquarter from uh, from these functions and make it more American right here on the ground. That's a seismic shift, isn't it, for the it Volkswagen Group? It is. We are very, used to be a very centralized company. Uh, everything is like German engineering, it's like, that's the way it is, and may the world you know, enjoy it. And uh, this, is, <laughs> this is unfortunately, you know, in the, in the new, especially the new technologies, it's, 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 not, it's not realistic. You can't, you can't handle it. Also from a, from a legal point of view, what, is a, what, what can you uh, adhere to the rules in the certain countries? You need to do it on the ground. You need to be here. You need to be here in America. You need to be in Europe. You need to be in China. It's unfortunately unavoidable. You have to do it. Will you spend more time here in America? Oh, absolutely. Going forward? Oh, absolutely. I'm uh, with the team on the ground. We do, do regular business uh, updates. I usually only make it to the East Coast, but I'm really excited now that I finally made it back to Los Angeles and uh, a couple of other places that I want to revisit in the next time. And, uh, Pablo and I, we decided we're going to go see a couple of dealers and see how they're doing. They seem to be very, very happy with our products and uh, it's good vibe in the, in the dealer body. I, I enjoy that. It's good. You have a very uh, varied uh, career. Mm. You spent time in Malaysia. Mm -hmm. uh, you spent time in South Africa, mm -hmm. in the U.S. You were, you were with Daimler, uh, mm -hmm. you know, previously. Mm -hmm. Would you have imagined this kind of course that, that you've been on to be exposed to all these different cultures and and um, uh, other other parts of the world? Not really. No, I was. When I started my career, I was surprised when I started with Daimler, Mercedes, and I, um, I was surprised that they took me on at the time. Uh, so I thought, okay, must be something. So you were a mechanical engineer. Mechanical right? engineer, studied with, with uh, Mercedes, they had a special study program in, in southern Germany. And, uh, but my career always sort of threw me into uh, some issues abroad. You know, like I, I got here to Los Angeles just because you know, there was a ramp up of the time of the E-Class for North America and I was a quality engineer and I was sent here to, to help with the ramp up. Sent me here for a, uh, for a week to help. Uh, turned out to be two years. So a great time, <laughs> fantastic time. And I thought, wow, that's fantastic. I really want to 
um, going to do that again. And shortly after that, I got an assignment to South Africa this time and met my wife there. And uh, yeah, from there, I went across the world. I always was interested in uh, cultures, different cultures, um, take the best, really, from each country, learning. Um, and my whole life, I was then responsible for, like, you know, overseas operations and, and that kind of stuff. Um, and I thought, when we went to South Africa and with Volkswagen for the second time, I said of Africa, that I would stay there. Mm -hmm. Stay I was, you know, we were working into Africa, exploring new markets, setting up new businesses in Rwanda, in Kenya, Ghana, and great fun. And I thought, that's it. I'm, you know, I'm going to retire right there, right then. Well, as you see, it didn't work out. Here we are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tell, me, tell me about the cultural differences of those markets. How you sell cars to folks in Kenya. Oh, um, yeah, it, interesting, because Kenya is a, um, is a market that is swamped by uh, used vehicles. So uh, the business model is that in, uh, in Japan, um, Kenya is a right-hand drive uh, market. In Japan, after like, seven years, uh, vehicles cannot be registered anymore, so you actually have to dispose of them. And those vehicles actually all arrive then in East Africa and get sold at a pricey amount of money. Um, so the used car market destroys any kind of new uh, job creation, uh, building vehicles in the region. So new cars really not, have got no chance to operate. But we, did, we agreed with the government at the time that setting up an operation in Kenya, creating jobs for young unemployed kids, you know, really moving it forward. Um, and uh, slowing down the import of used cars will then create a business environment in which um, you know you can actually operate. Africa's got huge potential. It's just uh, at the moment structurally um, wrong. There's a couple of things that need to be fixed in policy, and uh, uh, you know, like most places, you cannot buy a car other than cash. So you have to buy cash up front. And I mean, you know how many people have that kind of money to you know to buy a car in cash. So you finance it, you know, lease it, but it's not available there. No? So, but it can be done. Like I said, you know, all these problems that Africa actually has, um, you can't fix if you want it. Yeah. No? If you have political will and industrial bravery, you could, you could make it happen. What did you take from those experiences that you're applying now? Mm, it was like very entrepreneurial, very sort of pioneering stuff. You now you had to. Like, start business from scratch. Um, it was not getting somewhere, you know, you see an opportunity uh, because there's a market and then you participate. You actually almost <clears throat> had to discuss first the sort of circumstances and the, the environment to create the demand for business. So it's, it was very odd but very rewarding because you could see the impact that it has on uh, on the communities, on, you know, you create jobs, you create uh, Wealth in a community that desperately needs it, and um, I was it, it sort of uh, it motivated me immensely you know, to uh, to work in this environment. Thomas, so much talk of the uh, logistics and supply chain issues uh, affecting so many regions of the world. Mm -hmm. Where are we in that? Is there an end in sight to inventory um, uh, to alleviate some of the inventory? Uh, problems that have occurred over the last two years, or are we still 18 months out? Uh, I wouldn't say 18 months. We're probably still going to be in this for the next 12 months or so. It got better um, in, in many places. 
good decisions have been taken. You know, I see that the U.S. is also strongly investing now into, into semiconductors and so on, which is good. <clears throat> but at the same time, um, you know, you fix one problem, the other one comes up. So a lot of problems are hidden uh, below the surface, you know, by overshadowed by one big other issue. Once you fix the big issue, then all of a sudden the others come through. And I must say, this, this last uh, two years have been absolutely crazy in this space. We are now all across the world, you know, in the US, you have issues, and you know, everybody enough staff, you know, in logistics companies, you can't get parts or cars transported. Um, it, you know, in the Europe, we still have the issue with uh, the Ukraine war. You know, this is crazy that uh, in this age, we have a war in the middle of Europe. And um, most of the cable harnesses and suppliers are actually in the western part of, of the Ukraine. Yeah, you had a real problem with that. Yeah, we had shutdowns for, for many weeks. We had to um, sort of take tools out of Ukraine or, or buy new tools and, and bring them to North Africa or other bases and so on and, and you know, start it up again. And there were a couple of companies that, that actually refused um, to leave. The people want to stay and they want to work in their place. And uh, so we created... Um, set up for them, that in, especially in Lemberg, there on the western part, they they have to be in a shelter, in a, in a bomb shelter, in um, I think in, in 20 minutes max. So when the, the air raid uh, alarm goes off, you know these folks they walk into a bus, they go to air shelter, they wait it out. <coughs> Usually nothing happens in that area, and then they go back to work. And we said, right, why don't we relocate you to the other side of the border? We bring you to Poland or to Czech Republic or Germany. I said no. no we're home here, we want to work, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, uh, was a huge problem for us, in, especially around uh, April uh, this year. We've, we've fixed it now, so we're good, I'd say, uh, unless things are escalating further, which you never know, hope not. Um, but the semiconductors is it's going to take us probably another good couple of months to get out of this. There's a structural shortage in the, in the total system. How do we fix that issue? Greenfield locations, new new yeah. clients, North America, and yep. less know. dependency on Asian manufacturing. Absolutely, no, this is the only way to go about it. And some strong investments are happening in the U.S. No, some are happening in Europe. <clears throat> this is the only way. Um, will it fix the problem overnight? Of course not. Um, but uh, this is a long-term business, and uh, you know the right steps have been taken now. It's it's a focal point, and we need to focus on it. Let's shift to EVs now. We touched on it earlier. Mm -hmm. You. You talked recently uh, that the core brand of Volkswagen passenger cars wants to build only pure electric vehicles in Europe from 2033 uh, at the latest, which is actually a couple of years ahead of uh, um, what the original target was. Yeah. Why the shift? Why, why pulling it forward? Because we see it developing faster than we thought, to be honest. No? We see the uptake in uh, electric vehicles, um, we see the markets developing also the consumer shifting in, in attitude towards it. It's happening faster. The last 12 months alone, um, things have accelerated so much so that it's reasonable to say that by 2033, specifically around Europe, uh, you're through, done. There's no need to go into any kind of uh, combustion engine anymore. Is it global? No. no. I mean, in, in, in the US, we believe market will probably be at 50% uh, in 2030. We aim a little higher uh, for Volkswagen. I think about 55% uh, that we can do. By the end of the decade. By the end of the decade. Uh, we see strong 
uh, you know, movements here, you now claim the, on the show here in LA, you know, amazing. See new product coming through, exciting products. And, and I think that'll change the, change the game. And once people are in the cars and you know, you've seen your neighbor drive one, you finally probably accept that this is good fun and, and convenient. Yeah. We're sitting under an image of the Golf R, which is not <laughs> and not an EV. It's also fun, right? So, will I have that in my uh, at, at my uh, local dealership to purchase uh, beyond twenty thirty? Yeah, I would just I would say so. It's uh, in, in these performance uh, vehicles are always a, a cluster that, that survives usually a little bit longer than the average uh, vehicle. Golf um, R is great. It's also all-wheel drive. No, it's it's real cool. It's fun to drive, and, and, and it's almost a brand by itself. No, R and GTI are brands. We want to bring this into the future as well. And how is uh, what's an R of the future? What's a GTI of the future? And there are thoughts of using names like Golf or Polo even after the internal mm -hmm. combustion models are phased out. Mm -hmm. you, that that those, that the names will live on. Just it will be a different propulsion system. <clears throat> so, let me say, not all the names will live on. Certain names are iconic. Golf, for sure, is a, a, an iconic name. Um, very much so. Um, Tiguan is an iconic name, for example. Um, so we want to make sure that they live on. Um, in which format exactly? We're not hundred percent sure, to be honest. And we're working that out at the moment. We're doing the sort of naming and. You know, forecasting on the portfolio and so on. That's not quite done, but it, it looks like it's going to be like a mix of uh, the ID. ID is a known brand now too, but you know, how do we bring that in the future? We're not going to lose the Golf. Okay, no. that's good to hear. No, yeah. no, no, no. From a from a 1986 Golf owner, that's 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 great to hear. Thank you. Your first hundred days have been interesting. You, I saw a couple of videos on YouTube where um, you want to talk about emotionalizing the Volkswagen brand. I think you're. You're, it, you're representing emotion as the CEO of that brand. You were in an ice cream truck delivering ice cream to uh, uh, workers uh, mm -hmm. who were uh, in uh, Wolfsburg, including the uh, security guard who was quite happy to take the chocolate that, that you were giving her. <laughs> and you also, uh, on, the, on the very first day that you uh, took on this role, you, you made a video where you bumped into various people who said that they didn't know where to go on the campus. And you said, well, it's my first day too. I haven't seen, I've been following Volkswagen for the better part of 20 years. I haven't seen that kind of humanizing of the leader that I'm seeing in you. Is that who you are? Is that your... Yeah, it's, it's totally who I am. I don't take myself too seriously. I love to go to work and, and have fun with the people that are there you know, and um, make it more human, more, more friendly. And it creates a much better environment to work in. I know the old style, leadership style, you know, when you're terrorizing your people and shouting and whatever. I don't think it gets you anywhere, to be honest. <laughs> I, and, I, and I always thought, you know, when I was going through the ranks, um, that I'm, I'm probably going to end in, in, in trouble because I, I don't fit in. <laughs> and I don't, but at the end of the day, it seems to work. So I'm, I, the people pick it up and I, I can feel the spirit. People around me, wherever I go, you know, I got still got this like the team Volkswagen, the guys who you, you that burn for their brand, they love it, they they, they want to see it grow again, and, and that's what I'm also trying to live and get them to collaborate better and you know have this it's like a like a football team, you know, pull together and right. 
go for it. We don't know that much about you personally, except for your South African wife. Huh? Tell me a little bit more about the personal side of, your, of who you are, the culture of Thomas Schaefer. Not that much to know. I'm pretty, <laughs> I'm pretty down to earth guy. I, I like sport. I, I run every morning. I get up at five and, and, and run. I do that so that I can actually eat and drink what I want. <laughs> and it's the quickest way of getting things done. I, um, I love steaks. Uh, I'm in love with prime rib in the US. Um, I, other than that, I, uh, we don't have kids. We have dogs and horses and uh, enjoy that immensely. We live on a ranch um, privately, which I don't see too often, unfortunately. But uh, I hope that gets better now with uh, getting into the job and getting things better sorted out. But, but I love uh, love wines. I love um, South Africa, obviously, and it's part of part of me too. And um, love traveling. What's in your garage? My garage is a um, a golf buggy. I don't have I don't have any vintage cars. And um, I, I I had a, a 1966 um, SL Mercedes, which I actually bought in Newport Beach. And uh, brought it back to Germany in 1996. When I had it, I, I found out that I'm actually not into old cars. That you know, you need to spend a lot of time with it, and you know, and I didn't have it. it was, so I'm, I got a golf cart, and also not playing enough golf. That's also the unfortunate side. So I'm thinking about giving that up. <laughs> it just frustrates me. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, you're not alone in that. Well, I guess we can call you now, since we're in America, we can call you Cowboy Thomas Schaefer, given that you have the ranch. Yeah. But uh, welcome back to the United States. Thank welcome you. to L.A. Um, and uh, thanks for being on Cars and Culture. Thank you very much. Thanks again to my guest, Thomas Schaefer, CEO of the Volkswagen Passenger Cars brand and head of the brand Group Volume. To see my interview with Thomas, go to the Cars and Culture YouTube channel, like and subscribe to see more than 80 episodes. And thanks for listening to Cars and Culture. You can follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook, as well as on Instagram at Cars and Culture SXM and on Twitter at Cars and Culture. I'm Jason Stein in Los Angeles. We'll see you down the road.